the worldview that I'm going to share with you will change everything about your life. Does that sound hyperbolic? Well, I suppose it does sound like there's a little hyperbole here, but it's actually true. I want to give you a question, and how you answer this question will give you insight into why your life is the way that it is. And to answer my question correctly and to live it out practically will set the stage to one of the most incredible, adventurous experiences that you could ever have. Are you ready for my question? By the way, when you answer my question, don't forget to use Scripture to support your answer. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and the title of this podcast is This Worldview Will Change Everything About Your Life. I do have a question for you, and that's how we're going to get things rolling here. And again, as I said, how you answer the question will make all the difference in the world. I'll get to that in just a moment, but it is the Christmas season of 2019. If you're listening to this in July of some other year, well, Merry Christmas to you. And also, since it is the Christmas season, as we head toward the end of the year, for those of you who are able to support our 501c3 nonprofit ministry, I would encourage you to do that. We have links on our website where you can donate and give. I want to thank David and Bill and Nancy specifically, as they they actually mailed checks into our ministry. Uh, the parent organization is the Counseling Solutions Group, INC. That's how you would make the checks out, or you can just give online. If you have any questions about that, please hit the contact link in the bottom right-hand corner of our website, and we'll be right there to respond to you promptly. And so whether it's the Christmas season of 2019 or any other time, if if you have benefited from this ministry and are able to support it, please do that. For those of you who can't support financially, we have other options for you. I would like for you to go on our Life Over Coffee podcast or this podcast, which is Your Daily Drive, and if you would write a review and give us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. It will help us to continue to grow organically and to reach more people. Perhaps you can't give financially, but you can share our resources, and I do appeal to you. I urge you to do that because... Our desire is to reach as many people as possible with the practical message of Jesus Christ, and you can partner with us that way. You can copy the URL of this article or any other that you read, and you can put it in a text. You can put it in an email. You can share it. You can print it off. There is a print feature at the bottom of every article on our website, and if you hit the print feature, you can... Uh, uh, print it, and you can use this, or just pull it up in your small group meeting and and use the website as is, and you don't have to print it off. But some people, they like to make notes, and I think that's a great idea, and so they make notes in the margin, and so they prefer to print it off. Uh, One friend told me that her mom in Louisiana has a drawer full of our articles, and I've heard that several times Uh, through the years that people have stacks of our articles and they use them regularly 
And that is exactly what I hope would happen. And so I am thankful that you are using personally, sharing practically with those. And you can share this article as well. It isn't a podcast. You're hearing it now. It's also written out word for word. And so, again, you can print it off or share the link and have a wonderful coffee shop discussion. The title of the podcast, This Worldview Will Change Everything About Your Life. Here's the question. If your spouse asks you to go to the grocery store to purchase a gallon of milk, what would be your primary reason for going to the store? A very basic question because we live very mundane lives and we are doing things like this all the time. None of us really live a spectacular life. Maybe we have a spectacular moment or, or two when we're born, when we're born again, when we get married, when we have children. But most of our life is spent in the mundane. And therefore, when you think about a life-altering worldview, you want to contextualize it in the mundane life in which you live. And so I'm asking you a very practical question. It's not a trick question. And honestly, it's not that deep, but it is, it can be life-altering. Here it is again. If your spouse asks you to go to the grocery store to purchase a gallon of milk, what would be your primary reason for going to the store? Now, there are other ways that you can ask this type of question. For example, if you were going to the gas station to fill your tank with gasoline, what would be the main reason for going to the gas station? These are worldview-shaking questions that could unlock the mystery to biblical success while giving you the grace needed for a fruitful life with God and others. And when applied correctly, you will experience relief from lifelong battles with selfishness while making your relationships as great as they can possibly be. Now, there are only two answers to my questions. One answer dooms you to an ongoing battle with selfishness. The other answer gives you an experience with the victory that the Lord promises to all who want to follow him. And so let me give you the two possible answers. I'm also going to follow this up with a couple illustrations because I really want to punctuate my point because I really want you to get this. Wrong answer is... Now, again, the question is, your spouse asks you to go to the grocery store to purchase a gallon of milk. What would be your primary reason for going to the store? Wrong answer is the main reason to go to the store would be to buy the milk. The correct answer is the main reason to go to the store would be to discern the sovereign Lord's higher purposes for you being there. And while you are there, you will purchase the milk. I want to give you a scripture reference, and then I'll roll into my two illustrations of how the two illustrations is how you can live your life selfishly or live your life in an other-centered way that releases you to enjoy God's power. But first, the scripture reference, and it's Matthew 6.33. Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. That's the main thing. Seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, comma, and all of these things will be added to you. Now I want to give you Rick's paraphrase to Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you can have your milk too. All right, let me give you two illustrations. One is is my friend, self-seeking Mabel, and then the other is my other friend, who is other-centered Biff. Mabel is a selfish person, though she is a Christian and loves God and his church. And I do want you to hear that. I'm not talking about Mabel as though she has no interest in God, Christianity, other people. She does love God. She does love the body of Christ, but she is a selfish person. Her primary loyalty is to herself, and that is a tension that we all struggle struggle with. You and I are no different from Mabel as far as the temptation is concerned. You see, Mabel doesn't mind serving others as long as she can help them according to her expectations and her preferences. You could also also say as long as she can do it within her strengths, within her comfort zone. She is a person or, or she is a woman of personal convenience. If Mabel went to the store to get a carton of milk, she would probably grumble about having to go to the store. And while at the store, she would head straight to the dairy section, giving little thought to other people or the higher purposes of God. It's not Mabel's way to spontaneously reach out and serve other people unless it's on her terms, under her conditions, within the category of personal convenience. For example, when she's going to the local high school football game, she paints her face, she dresses in the school colors, she rallies her family to go with her. Those are not bad things, by the way. I mean, well, it, not necessarily. I'm not sure that I would paint my face and dress in school colors, but they don't have to be bad things. You see, when Mabel is doing things she likes to do, she has the energy for the process. But when the situation calls Mabel to extend herself for others in ways that are outside her usual way of doing her Christian duty, she does not want to do it, and her complaining wears thin on others. Mabel has trained others not to bother with her about things that are not within her preferences. Perhaps you have relationships like that where you have learned over a, a period of time that if I ask this question, this is the response I'm going to get because this person is not going to be amenable to do the thing that I hope that they would do, and that is Mabel. And then we have other-centered Biff. He, he's like Mabel in that he has a pace of life that fits within his preferences and his personality, as we all do. Biff likes to do what Biff wants to do. But that is where the similarity stops. You see, Biff has a gospel-centered worldview that drastically and dynamically shapes how he does life with God and others. If you ask Biff the primary reason he would go to the store to get a carton of milk, here's what Biff would say. Notice the difference here. He would say, quote, well, I would go to the store to get the milk. But my primary expectation would, to be would be to find God working in, in some way while I was at the store. 
I want to join up with the Lord in whatever redemptive purposes he may be orchestrating. It would sadden me to miss out on what God may be doing while I was at the store, the grocery store. Isn't that the heart of Matthew 6.33? But but seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, and, and don't forget to get your gallon of milk. Biff has a gospel vision for life, a vision that gives him a peripheral on the Lord's sovereign activities in the lives of others. He is always scanning the landscape of his life, seeking and discerning what God may be doing in his world and trying to connect with the Lord's work to help push it farther along. Biff has learned a deeper meaning of Matthew 6.33. He knows that he does not have to live in an earth-centered mindset, get the milk, get the milk, that's all that I am here for. No, he doesn't live that way because God is more than able to supply all of his physical needs, including the milk. He has thought, the Lord has thought about the lilies of the field. The Lord has thought about the birds of the air. Biff knows that his father's interest in his life transcends his human ability to provide. And if the Lord will care for the flowers and the birds, well, he's got the milk too. Biff lives a radically different life from Mabel, always expecting the Lord to give him the grace to sustain him. While allowing him to work within the Lord's sovereign purposes, there is a joy about Biff that you don't see in Mabel. It is the tale of two Christians. Both Mabel and Biff are doing good things for the Lord. And again, I want you to hear that. Mabel is not a a non-Christian, and she's not an uncaring one. But she doesn't have this type of peripheral gospel-centered vision. She works, her work for the Lord is nearly always within her schedule. Mabel lives more in a dichotomy of my time and ministry time. And so if you were to draw a big circle on a sheet of paper and, and draw a line down the middle, that would be a dichotomy. And you'd put on, on one side, you'd put Mabel's time. And on the other side, you would put ministry time or serving time or other-centered time, however you want to label that. Biff's work for the Lord not only fits within his pace of life, but he has a more profound experience of God's activity because he's always looking for it. Biff does not divide his life in a dichotomy. In fact, if you were to draw a circle on a sheet of paper, you would not draw a line down the middle. There would be nothing there because all of life, it is a God-centered worldview. Mabel, because she divides her life down the middle, as I've described, she only has the energy for the things that she likes to do. Biff, on the other hand, has the strength to do what he needs to do, but experiences more grace because of his humble willingness to cooperate with the Lord, especially when the call is outside his preferred comfort zone. Both of these believers drive to the store, but they go with different attitudes. Mabel complains about having to go. Biff is thinking about God's redemptive purposes as he completes the errand. 
Though both Christians are tired, their worldviews shape them differently. It's the difference between God working in your world or you working in his world. That is an important point, and so I want to slow down just a a moment here and, and make sure that you understand what I'm saying. And so you could say it like this. Mabel knows that God is working in her world. That makes it a Mabel-centric world, a self-centered world. I have my world, and I invite God to work in it. Biff is different. He knows that he is working in God's world. And so this is really different. This is not my world. This is not my life. This is not my place. This is not my agenda. This is all about God. And I am stepping into his world, becoming a steward of whatever it is he is doing. Is the difference between God working in your world, which is self-centeredness, or you working in his world? Do you see the difference between how they think about the sovereign Lord A comprehensive gospel worldview is what sets Biff apart from his friend. He's like a kid who is always on an adventure. It does not matter where he is or what context he's in. Biff is expecting the Lord to do something, and he has a perpetual biblical curiosity to figure out what that might be. You can imagine when he goes to the grocery store with that curiosity, he knows God is there, God is omnipresent, God is active, God is going to be doing something, I am stepping into his world, this is going to be fun, let's see how it goes. The title of this podcast is, This Worldview Will Change Everything about your life. You can read this article if you wish. Another characteristic of the two Christians is how Mabel is always tired. What she does not realize is how her tiredness is not so much related to her activity, but connected to her pride. And how that pride, and I'm going to tease out pride because Pride is the basket word that houses all sin. Every sin is a manifestation or a form of pride. So when you say pride, you really don't know what that means exactly. And so I want to tease that out and talk about a specific manifestation of her pride and its self-centeredness. And and the reason I say is that she doesn't understand how her tiredness is not related to her activity, but it's connected to her self-centeredness, her prideful self-centeredness. It's the calling card. Pride is the calling card of God's opposition. You remember what James said in 4.6, God opposes the proud. And because Mabel is self-centered, that is the manifestation of pride that I'm talking about here, She's opposing God. Imagine that you're in this tug of war and the Lord God Almighty is on the other end, pulling the rope the other way. Of course you're going to be tired. God opposes the proud. Mabel connects her tiredness to being busy, but her tiredness is actually connected to the opposition of God in her life. You see, Mabel is a self-reliant person who tries hard to manage her life on her terms. This posture is a form of pride that God opposes. The harder she tries to control her life, 
the more complicated it becomes, especially in her relationships. It's like the person who holds a tight grip on the wet sand at the ocean. The more forceful the grip, the more it oozes through the fingers. The counterintuitiveness of the gospel calls us to trust beyond our ability to manage things, beyond our ability to control all things. If you want to live, you must die. That's the counterintuitiveness of the gospel. And we must always make sure that we're flipping everything on his head because the way that we see things is different from how things ought to be because the gospel is counterintuitive to our thinking. As I illustrated, if you want to live, you must die. And if you die, you will be able to produce exponentially. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said in John 12, 24. He says, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you hear the counterintuitive gospel there? Which is a picture of the, uh, of the cross. Jesus died on the cross and he gave life to millions. The counterintuitive gospel thinker has experienced this kind of empowering grace. This kind of person is like the disciples who came back from a hard tour of ministry duty, rejoicing in what the Lord did. I want to take just a moment to this problem, this manifestation that Mabel has, which is grumbling. She grumbles when she has to do something that is outside of her preferences, that is outside of the list of things that she wants to do. Grumbling is an itsy-bitsy sin that can spread like cancer through a person's soul. One of the effects of grumblers is being worn out and tired. As I mentioned earlier, Mabel is a tired person, but she's not connecting the tiredness. She's connected it to her activity, not to the opposition of the Lord. You'll even see it on their faces. Interestingly, the happy giver can do much more work than the grumbler, and they have the joy of the Lord. It's not that they have a bigger motor for life. It's because they have a different view, uh, a different view of, and a different expectation from the Lord. Perhaps you need to rest. I'm not saying, in fact, resting is a gift from God that we all must partake. What I'm saying here is not intended as a guilt-motivated call to work harder by doubling down on your efforts, only to be twice as tired as you were before. I'm not even suggesting that you add anything to your schedule. If you think that you must tack more ministry onto your life, then you've missed the point of what I am saying. This worldview that I'm talking about here is not a call to add more. It is a call to do what you're currently doing with a redemptive mindset. Let me give you some illustrations with a few things that you normally do through the course of your week so that you can get a better handle on what I'm saying here. Again, I'm not 
asking anyone to do more than they are normally doing. I'm asking, this is a worldview. This is a mental mindset, a redemptive mindset that I'm appealing that those who need to switch to, that they will switch. Here's a few illustrations of how you can have this this. Uh, worldview that Biff has when he goes to the store, it's not that he's adding that to his list. He has to go to the store to get the gallon of milk, but as he is going. And so when you go to the store, ask the Father to show you how to put him on display while you are in the store. Here's another one. When you pray, Ask the Father to put someone on your heart that you can send a text of encouragement. You're going to pray anyway. Add this to your prayer list. Ask God to place someone on your heart. Number three, as you're standing in line at a fast food restaurant, or any restaurant for that matter, pay the meal of the person behind you. You're already in the restaurant. You're not adding anything to your list. You are there but you're thinking redemptively, and so you want to be Christ to someone. You look behind you and say, I'll just pay the meal of this person. Number four, when you're walking through the church building on Sunday, pick up a piece of paper on the floor. You're already walking through the church building. You're not adding anything to your list. You just have a redemptive worldview, and so you bless the folks who normally pick up that paper, and you do it for them. Number five, when you leave a restaurant, help stack the dishes that you were using at your table. Number six, practice saying thank you to everyone who does something for you. There's no added work involved. And finally, number seven, ask the Lord how you can individually bless someone today, and don't be satisfied until you find that person during your travels. In all of these things, I haven't asked you to do one thing more than what you're already doing during your day, but you're being redemptive. You're, you are anticipating God to be there ahead of you, and you want to pay attention so that you can be in line with whatever he may be doing in somebody's life. It, it's not about doing more but about having a gospel attentiveness and expectancy for what you're already doing. It's an appeal to plead with the Lord to give you a different worldview, a gospel-centered one that allows you to see life differently. Rather than going to the store just to accomplish a task, you leave home with the expectation of finding the Lord already there, making way for you to engage whatever it is that He is up to in His world The person who slugs their way to the store because someone guilted them into going or because they happened to find out at 10 p.m. that they were out of milk and reluctantly goes will always be a worn-out complainer. The person who finds out they are out of milk and thinks, gee, I wonder why the Lord wants me to go to the store. I can't wait to get there. That person is going to be just as tired but their redemptive-shaped attitude will unleash the favor of the Lord on their worn-out body. 
You see, that's also James 4, verse number 6. I mentioned it earlier about being tired because of the opposition of God. Well, see, James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so we have two people doing the same thing. One of them's worn out as they do the task because they are complaining and grumbling, and that is the opposition of God. The other person is tired, but yet they feel a joy that is happening to them because God is giving them great favor as they do the task. To live with redemptive thoughts on the tip of your mind is contrary to our world. The average person would not give a second thought to anyone else in the store. That's normal. That's natural. Or as Jesus would say, that's how the Gentiles live. Their primary thought is to meet their goals because they don't know the Lord and have no access to His provision outside of His common grace. I suspect most of them would think if they had to extend themselves, it would cost them monetarily, physically, or in time, so they don't give others any additional thought than they have to. This attitude is not the Christian way. The Christian lives with the calm assurance that Father God is always aware of our needs, always supplying our needs. We don't have to focus so much on how to live life on earth. And because we don't have to spend so much attention thinking about that, we're free to think about how to serve others. We know there is an artesian well of grace that supplies and sustains this kind of worldview. The question for you is, how well do you see what God is doing in His world? And are you ready to respond to His work. Here are a few questions for you, and we'll finish the podcast. Do you have a redemptive-shaped mind? Why or why not? Number two is your first thought about God's kingdom or the food and clothing in His world. Why did you answer that way? Number three, what is your first objective? To serve others or to serve yourself? Please explain your response Number four, are you experiencing the joy found in giving your life for the benefit of others? If not, why not? And finally, has it occurred to you that the more you try to make life fit your preferences, the more miserable you will be? Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. RickThomas.net.